Well, what is up, church? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. And man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And, uh, you know, we are in week four of our teaching series called History Maker. And really, the, the, the thesis of this whole series is quite simple. We're talking about how we, as God's people, as God's church, can get in alignment with God's mission so that we can get into alignment with God's resources. Do you see how that works, okay? When we realign our hearts with God's mission, then God will realign heaven's resources. And I think there's so many people out there that are just like, God, where are you at? Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus put it very simply. Put first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that other people run after will be added to you. You see, God always gives supernatural resources when we get on mission with the things he wants us to focus on. But today, I'll tell you what, I, I, today is gonna be a little unique and it's gonna be fun. I'm actually gonna be more of a leader than a, than a teacher. Not that we won't hit the Bible, of course, but I, there's just a lot of really fun updates about substance that I wanna share and some really fun vision elements that I, I just cannot wait to tell you today. But uh, it all ties into the big picture of this series uh, very, very nicely. Now, many of you guys know that Substance has hosted a lot of pastors here. If you ever just hang out around Substance, you'll probably run into a lot of pastors who are visiting from all over the U.S. on any given weekend. In fact, uh, we recently hosted this last year uh, two major pastors' conferences just to kind of concentrate the visits. Instead of having, you know, five pastors visit a Sunday, let's have, you know, 100 visit once a quarter, right? And, and so this last, in fact, even just this last month, we did a conference where we had hundreds of pastors flying in, get this, from over nine different states of the U.S. and four different countries, uh, just to be a part of what the Lord is doing here. And, and, uh, but, but even beyond that, believe it or not, our, our church has actually put on dozens of pastors' conferences on, get this, three different continents over the last three months. And, and for some reason or another, I, I, I just, you guys have to understand how humbling this is. God has just been opening up doors for us with the global church. And, and it's actually... It's actually very humbling for my wife and I to watch what the Lord is doing, just watching God promote uh, substance, really. And, and we're just telling stories about you guys, mostly good, uh, about just what the Lord is doing here. And, um, you know, I, I, a while back, I really actually felt convicted. This is going to sound a little strange, but a while back, I felt convicted that I need to start taking some of you all on these trips with me. And what do you mean? Some of you are like, what? We get to go on a trip with, well, we'll figure it out, right? But I, I just, even if it's just you going to our Mexico campus, some of you, you haven't even been to our downtown campus or the other campus in our city. Come on, people. Uh, you gotta see what the Lord is doing. It's, it's a part of our church's testimony and story. But even if you just came to our Mexico campus, I promise you, when you go there, something will just come alive in you because you'll, you'll, it'll feel like home and you'll say, wow, if God can do this here, then man, we could, we could help plant churches all over the place. And, and even when I can't bring you along with me, you know, at the very least, I can film some of it. In fact, even just this last month, uh, we, our church helped launch a church planting network. We give startup capital to uh, church planters, but we, we helped launch the network in the United Kingdom, in England, uh, as well as in Germany. And of course, uh, Carolyn couldn't be with me because uh, 
well, she was speaking. She's kind of a big deal now, if you haven't found out. No, she, I, I don't even know. I think she was like Jacksonville. No, you were in Memphis. And, uh, you know, so instead I had to force Nate Puccini to, to keep the camera rolling. And, and unfortunately, neither of us are particularly amazing with cameras. But we filmed a quick little video recap of what we did in England and Germany. And you guys, I just think it's going to encourage you. Why? Because this is your fruitfulness, okay? So anyway, with all that said, sit back, check this out. Okay, so we are about to board a plane to go to London. And then we're going to train to Liverpool. And then we're going to taxi to Manchester. And then we're going to fly to Frankfurt. And then we're going to drive three hours into the middle of nowhere in some ski hill. I don't know where, but it's all worth it. We're going to try to use every form of transportation that has ever been invented in the history of mankind, including the covered wagon. Yeah, so where are we at? We made it? We, we are here on the streets, Tottingham. So we made it to London, right? Oh, well, London, yeah, it's really London. We out here. <laughs> we don't even know what day it is. We have not slept in a long time. Days. And we are here to do what, ultimately? We're gonna train church planters, pastors, leaders all over Europe. So we're heading to Liverpool. Liverpool, then we're gonna go to Frankfurt, and then some other cities in Germany. We only have to do seven messages in the next couple days. And, uh, oh, my cold. Nasty. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea that traveling is glamorous, but it's pretty much just a lot of taxis. So what we're doing right now is we just spoke at a church this morning and then we're going to be speaking to pastors in Liverpool. We're only doing what? Seven? Nine. Nine total messages. So we're, uh, we have two more tonight to do. So we are uh, just kind of taking a break and getting a little shopping. So we finally made it to Germany and we are of course absolutely tired, but it's gonna be it's gonna be just a, a fun couple hours here. Nate and I were so car sick. We're driving up to a uh, 
It's like a German ski village where this conference is being hosted. There's about 1,700 pastors from, that have descended on a little convention center here in the region, and I'm about to teach them tonight. One of the things that I see all over the world, no matter where I go, is how much the COVID lockdowns have just decimated churches everywhere. And, and you know, and part of it is because a lot of pastors, they don't, they don't really focus on empowering their people. I think one of the biggest things that I end up teaching pastors is don't do the ministry for the people, equip the, the people for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4.11 teaches. And so a lot of pastors, they don't do small groups. They just have little church services and they spend all of their time doing church services instead of empowering people to do what you guys do at Substance so well. And that's, you you see the gospel as leading small groups. It, like everybody takes ownership in the gospel. It's not just about being an attendee. It's about helping other people have intimacy, have them have people experience confession of sin. And I think one of the things that I love to brag up about substance is just how many lay leaders, people that are just have, you know, just normal jobs doing all sorts of things. They take personal responsibility for the gospel. And, uh, and, and really that's one of the things that I'm going to be sharing tonight to all the pastors. So I'm kind of excited. All right, Nate, where are we at? We out here, people. We in Frankfurt. And we have a very, very full car. Let's go. Yeah, we. this is what we do. Only only a couple hours. Come on. Like this. Yeah, there's nothing like riding in the back of a BMW on the Autobahn with Jamie Corker and driving. With Jamie Corker. In the cold wind of night, you will find me. So we made it to Frankfurt and uh, I'm definitely crashing from all of the travel. So, you know, just trying to unwind and drink lots of water and walk a little bit. So this is one of the few moments I won't have to preach. Praise God. So I'm just gonna take a nap. What do you like about America, Nate? I like the priority of using deodorant. Deodorant. <laughs> like central air conditioning. Central air conditioning. But the Lord says we need to make disciples of all nations, Nate. Yeah, we're doing it, but I'm going to do it with my central AC rolling. <laughs> well, I like drip coffee. I like that you don't have to pay to go to the bathroom. Well, that was fun. Telling that German lady I need to use the bathroom. And she said, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> Germany does have superior gummy bears, yeah. though. They invented gummy bears. Home sweet home. My bed, my pillow. Thank you, Jesus. So what did you guys think? Isn't that fun? Come on. Hey, listen, for real, we're investing in churches all over the place. And when you give at Substance, a portion of every dollar goes to stuff just like you saw. Now, I, I, when I got back from that trip, somebody said, hey, well, what, what are you teaching all these pastors? You know, they were kind of curious about the, the types of things that I preach in these places. And of course, you know, I started sharing it with them and they were like, man, you have to share some of that with the whole church. And again, I was kind of taken back like, really? You think the, the, the greater people at Substance would care about some of these like teachings that I give to pastors. And, and of course the guy was like, of course they would. And honestly, that was kind of the inception of this whole series. I, I, I kind of switched things up even for this fall and, and went into this, this series. But really uh, one of the reasons why I go out and teach pastors is because, and I've noticed this for, for decades, right? I'm, I'm going on the, the finishing up my third decade of full-time ministry. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is every city I go to, there's a pastor in that city who, you know, gives me kind of the, the, life is tough, you have no idea how hard it is to grow a church here, this is the toughest city on the world, you know, like, and then, you know, but the funny thing for me, as a guy that gets to travel, there's always another church just down the road from that same pastor who's knocking it out of the park, and is just, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite, right, so I'm always like, <laughs> what's the difference between church A and church B? Why is this pastor say this is so hard and nobody in this city loves the gospel? And this guy is like, he, does, he cannot launch enough campuses and lead people to Christ fast enough. Like, wh what's the difference? Because, because uh, in, 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 you know, it's not even just the obvious stuff, right? It, it just, well, this worship is terrible and the preaching is terrible. It's not even that kind of stuff. Because a lot of times, you know, the preaching is actually equal. Both churches are spending the same amount of money and, and and sometimes, you know, they're both praying, they're both doing, they're both very busy doing great things, and they have the exact same theology, and yet one church is taking over while another one is dying. What's the difference? Well, I started listing all of the differences over the years, just to reflect on them. And of course, in this series, I'm actually sharing seven of these behaviors, seven of the differences that I noticed. But then I started wondering, well, okay, I don't want these just to be anecdotal observations. Is there any data-driven proof that would help substantiate and confirm some of these behaviors. And then even more than that, would church history confirm and corroborate some of these behaviors? And so uh, really just to make this whole series a little more interesting for you guys, I've been hitting different miracle movements, uh, just world-changing churches that altered the course of the global church and times in history where God used a small church to fundamentally change Christianity. 
And of course, this last week, we talked about the Moravian movement. It was a little German church that started kind of the first big modern missions movement. And then we talked about the Methodists that came out of the Moravian movement in England. And it wasn't, this, the Moravians were German. The Methodists were, were British. They, and they fundamentally altered modern worship, modern small group methodology in churches. And, and you know, I, I couldn't help but to think about this a little bit more just in light of the fact that I think it's interesting that God just allowed us to launch a church planning network in both countries where these movements started. You know, the Moravians were in Germany, Methodists in England. And yet, ironically, you know, I was just thinking about this. Ironically, today, both of those movements are virtually dead because they failed to continue the behaviors that actually started them. You see, that's why I love studying church history is it's, it, we're, we're getting into what was God revealing. And of course, he's always doing something new, right? But, but I do believe that there are transcendent behaviors that tend to mark all of these turning points. And so here's a, a quick little recap of what we've done over the last several weeks, okay? In week two, we learned that history-making churches always prioritized Church planting, and I, I shared this stat with you, and I want you just to continue to reflect on it. A mere 3% increase in a city's church plants will double a city's number of active Christians within a single generation. I mean, it's mind-numbing when you really think about how, and there's a million reasons for why this is, right? And uh, last, just this last month alone, did you guys know that your, your money planted beautiful churches, one of them in Toulouse, France, and it was one of the largest launches that the French church has ever seen uh, in recent years. We launched a church in Bucharest, Romania, once again, one of the largest churches. That, and they're just really young, fiery planters. In fact, the one of them, I might even have him rap on our next variant album. It's just fun. You guys, you guys, I'm meeting so many fun people around the world. And if you're out there and you're like, yeah, but Pastor Peter, maybe aside from giving to substance, how can I contribute to church planting? You know, like what, just especially me who's in the marketplace or I, you know, I'm a full-time mom. What do I do? Well, listen to this. Every time you help us with our small groups, expanding small groups and ministry teams, you're a church planter. Small groups and ministry teams are the fundamentals of all church planting. Because when you guys expand our small groups and our ministry teams, guess what it does? It forces me to add services. And when I have to add services, when one campus gets too many services, guess what? I have to add another campus. You see how this works? And, and, and campuses are right now, like video campuses, are one of the most efficient models of church planting out there, okay? And yeah, we're going to still plant autonomous churches, but listen... Every time we do the basic things here at Substance, what we are doing is church planting. We're all church planters. And that's what we're going to be as a history maker church, is we're going to plant small groups and expand ministry teams. And some of you are going to launch... Uh, Teams for things that we've never even done before. I mean, come on. We're going to do all sorts of crazy things from launching schools to universities to all sorts of outreaches. And so just be dreaming with me, okay? Uh, and of course, then, you know, over the past two weeks, we also covered a, a couple other history-making behaviors, which I'll summarize right here. Uh, some of these, I, I don't want to waste time recapping because, uh, because I want to go to new places today, okay? They avoided cheap religion. They all started with teams of preachers and powerhouses, 
They, they always were targeting the next generation, the most receptive to the gospel. And I, I just, now for the sake of time, I'm not going to recap all of these, but I, I do want to share a really crazy fun story in church history that really embodies all of the principles we've talked about uh, so far. In other words, this is a little bit of a recap, but I, I believe it's going to all of a sudden cause some of these to click for the first time in your hearts. Now, if you go back to week two, we talked about these two dudes, okay? John Thornton and John Newton, the preacher and the powerhouse, right? God always puts the preacher with the powerhouse and the powerhouse. This, this is the one that's usually the unsung hero, right? But I mean, if you study all of church history, there's always the famous preacher that's associated with the movement, like George Whitfield, but then there was the Lady Huntington that allowed George Whitfield to shine, right? Or then, you know, William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, the first person. You know, really, it was Monmouth who enabled him to shine. If you think about Jesus, he had three different women that funded his ministry. You see, there's, there's powerhouses behind every preacher, and, and, and so that's why I love celebrating people like John Thornton, and I want to celebrate him a little bit today by telling you a little bit more about it. Um, in, in one generation, they revitalized an entire denomination, took over, took over literally 400 Anglican pulpits in a single generation. And, I, and yet, even after sharing all that I, that I did two weeks ago, I didn't even tell you the best part of the story. There is a whole part two, and I thought, you know what, rather than even telling you about it, uh, there was a movie that was made a little over a decade ago called Amazing Grace, and uh, just a lot of famous people in it. And uh, I, I took some clips from that movie and decided to tell the story using a lot of the clips from the film. And, and by the end, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to want to jump out of your skin with excitement. Because I really believe that what we saw them do, that we also can repeat the same history-making principles. And so with all that said, sit back, pop the popcorn, and enjoy a short movie. So today, I want to tell you about a history-making church called the Clapham Sect. Back in the 1700s, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, was dying. I mean, the preaching was terrible. The worship was stale. And although they had, like, thousands of old buildings and cathedrals in prime locations, they couldn't fill them to save their lives. But as usual, God raised up a preacher and a powerhouse that could change all of this. John Newton and John Thornton devoted their lives to changing this. And of course, John Newton, the preacher, was a songwriting preacher. In fact, he's the guy who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And John Thornton was a wealthy businessman. And Thornton knew the Church of England had all of these prime properties in the middle of London where all the young people were. And so what if they did a revival of worship and planted churches inside of these dying buildings that would target young people. In other words, we'll start a revival of kids ministry, college ministry, worship ministry, and we're gonna do it inside these old buildings. So Thornton suggested, hey, could you find me fire starters who would take on insane things like the abolition of slavery? And that's what they did. In fact, one of the kids in John Newton's kids ministry was a little boy named Will. You see, little Wilby listened to his pastor tell stories about how God saved him from the slave trade, how awful it was, and how God wanted to stop the slave trade. And so years later, when John Newton moved to central London, guess who started coming? 
But little Wilby wasn't so little anymore. In fact, the 21-year-old, now William Wilberforce, was making history because he was one of the youngest Brits to ever get elected into Parliament at that time. But it was scary for him. And so he'd go to his pastor wanting to quit, perhaps maybe go into ministry like John Newton, but Newton would tell him, no, let's take on slavery in the British Empire, but I'll do it from the church side, you do it from the politics side. Now, as a quick side note, those of you who study church history know that Christians were almost always the driving force of abolition movements. And why? Because the New Testament book of Philemon was literally written to a newly saved slave owner, and the Apostle Paul was asking him to fulfill his Christian duty by releasing his slave. But you got to understand, at this point in history, abolishing slavery was a virtually impossible task. I mean, that would be like saying, I'm going to end poverty on earth. Because at that time, 80% of Britain's foreign income was slave trade related. I mean, it was literally their biggest export. And they were the most powerful nation on earth. And so to abolish slavery, you would have to reinvent the entire economic system of not just an entire nation, Nation, but globally, this was not a simple problem. I mean, it could not be done without making a lot of enemies with some very powerful people. In fact, there were over 300 British MPs who were in the pockets of slave traders. Even more, abolishing slavery would require a shakeup of the entire global economy. Almost every nation in Western and Central Africa was dependent upon the slave trade. Most of these young revolutionaries in Africa made most of their money for their governments by selling their enemies into slavery. And yet, Britain was a great place to start because British shipping companies dominated this trade at the time. After years of preparation, there was this classic moment in Parliament. Wilberforce unfolded an abolition bill that he felt would be irresistible. And at that time, a lot of people felt like this is the last chance for Parliament to pass any sort of bill like this. After all, the pro-slavery movement had really picked up steam. The French Revolution made people in Britain afraid of any dramatic social change. And sadly, despite Wilberforce's passion, the bill failed to pass by 75 votes, and they were devastated. In fact, so effective was the pro-slavery movement that many people began viewing Christian abolitionists as enemies of the state. Wilberforce himself had constant attacks. One critic even argued that Wilberforce and these so-called Christians were actually causing poverty in England by advocating for measures that would change the British economy. But despite all of this, Wilberforce quietly went about rebuilding his strategy to bring about change. After all, every year he failed to persuade people, another 40,000 people were torturously sold into slavery. And so he knew what the stakes were. So finally, in April 1792, Wilberforce brought forth another build, which failed. And again, in February 1793, Another bill was narrowly defeated. But this time it was different because they had only lost by eight votes. And so they thought, this is it. We're gaining momentum. 
And then again, in 1794, they created new bills that they thought would surely create final consensus. And yet, despite all of their graphic descriptions and impassioned pleas, these new attempts also failed miserably. And as, as you'd imagine, each failure seemed to compound the hopeless nature of their dream. But despite the uphill climb, Wilberforce continued to introduce new bill after new bill in hopes that he could persuade people, even if it happened one failed bill at a time. By the early years of the 19th century, the abolition movement once again began resurging in popularity. And so surely this time could finally be the time for success. But after a lengthy legislation process throughout all of 1804 and 1805, once again, all of their attempts resulted in failure. People began to ask, could the abolition of slavery ever be accomplished? I mean, how many feudal bills would it take before something would change? Because every time they'd propose a new bill and have dynamic conversations with other parliamentary members, these same sympathetic members would suddenly oppose him. Well, to bolster his movement, Wilberforce wrote a book in hopes of jump-starting Britain's national conscience. In addition to this, John Newton wrote an account of what it was like to be a captain of a slave ship, and it just changed the way people thought. And finally, on July 26th, 1833, after 42 years since he first attempted to pass an abolition law, Parliament passed the long-awaited bill for the abolition of slavery. Could you imagine that moment? History records that tears rolled down Wilberforce's face and people stood and applauded him for his never-say-die attitude. And there was an estimated 11 million slaves who immediately won their freedom that day. And even more importantly, that bill sent shockwaves all around the world that would swing the momentum of history towards righteousness. And that is exactly what happened. Three days after slavery was abolished in the British Empire, on July 29th of 1833, Knowing that Wilberforce had served the Lord's call on his life, he actually went home to be with the Lord. He died at his cousin's house, leaving a legacy that would change the world forever. But where did it start? It started with a preacher and a powerhouse. It started with a kid's ministry. God is always calling teams of preachers and powerhouses. But the question is this, who will respond in this generation. Isn't that an incredible story, church? It really, really, really is incredible to think about what we can accomplish with God when we persevere through the difficult seasons of our lives. And I, I, I think about that story, it immediately reminds me of a classic scripture that you've all heard before, and if you haven't memorized it, you just need to put this on your list. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will what? 
We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I think it's important to notice that God has a proper time in all of our lives. He has a proper time for us to get married. He's got a proper time for us to get that promotion we've wanted. He's got a proper time. In fact, he knows the exact places where we would live, Acts 17, 26. You see, God has a proper time. Of course, you and I a lot of times have our own timeline, and we're like, come on, God, where are you at? You know what I'm saying? I think we can get frustrated, but listen, trust me, loved ones, you do not want your timing. You do not want your timing. You want God's timing because God knows how to, God knows when you and I have the character to sustain the weight of his blessings. And I, you know, for Wilberforce, that proper time was 42 years after his first abolition bill. I think a lot of us, we want success on the first shot, right? We just want, you know, we want to get that one shot. And we even tell ourselves, you only get one shot, right? But actually, that's not true. Uh, really, you can take a million shots and you can fail forward. And ultimately, I think if you learn how to pay attention to the Lord, he can actually uh, give you the ability, the endurance to do longer and more difficult things that aren't, that, that don't, life doesn't always work in, in three, four-year goals. You know what I'm saying? There's sometimes bigger things. For Wilberforce, it took a minimum of 42 years. And I, I think about, you know, everything in my life happened slower than I wanted it, but then when it happened, it happened suddenly, and it was better than I would have expected. It was worth it, you see? It, but when we get weary, we start to get up in our heads about God. And I, I, I share this because I think that, that there's a few of you here today where, you know what, you're starting to question the wrong things. You're even questioning the character of God because of the arbitrary timeline that you set up for your life, for your future, for the things that you're trusting God for. And I, I just, I always want to remind people of a simple little phrase that I think is worth internalizing, and it's this, delays in our dreams do not mean that God is disinterested in us, it does not mean that God is disappointed in us, and it does not mean that God is denying us. Okay, keep in mind, we have a God who can bend time. He can, he can change things, okay? So don't, don't automatically interpret delays or weariness as somehow God doesn't love me, or maybe God isn't all powerful, maybe it's not real, or maybe, maybe it's me, maybe, you know, like maybe I just need to do a little more um, penance, I need to whip myself, I need to shame myself, or maybe God is denying me because he's stingy. Listen, I, I want you, the devil will exploit whatever of these lies he can that you are most likely to believe. And some of you, you're willing to believe even all of them. And I want to encourage you, you got to get truths of God deep in your heart that you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And again, it may not always look the way you want because God also sees a bigger picture than we do. But I, it's important you understand the passing of time does not equate, the passage of time does not equal the passing of opportunity. Okay, that God can snap his fingers 
and, and reverse time even for you. And so those of you who think, well, it's way too late for me to save my marriage or it's way too late for me to, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And yeah, maybe it is too late for you to become an NFL star. You know, you're 78 years old. But I, I just, you know, I, I, I still think that there's, there's a lot of times when dreams don't happen, it's because it was never God's dream in the first place. And God has something that's even better that will fulfill you even more. But you got to trust him. Loved ones, you got to see him for what he is, and that's the God who loves you, that created you. And, and, and I, I think about all that Newton, Thornton, and Wilberforce had to do in their lives is just stay faithful to the call of God and, and many of the principles that we discussed, okay? And what were those principles? Well, you saw, you saw a preacher in a powerhouse, several powerhouses, get in unity about a few things. And what were those things? They wanted to plant some churches, they wanted to, they didn't want to shy away from calling out sin, even the ones that would make them unpopular. And they, they lived a great portion of their lives as very unpopular because they were willing to say, hey, listen, you guys, I know you don't want to admit this, but this is wrong. This is wrong. And I think in every generation, there's going to be that tension and some people are, and that doesn't mean that we should all become mean-spirited or anything like that. I do believe there's a life-giving way to uplift people with truth, filled with, the, with joy, peace, and patience. But uh, they planted churches. They didn't shy away uh, from sin and from, from supernatural. They, they created alliances between preachers and powerhouses. It wasn't just uh, John Newton, but it was John Thornton. It was William Wilberforce and a whole lot of people that, they, that came alongside uh, a group of preachers. It was teams of preachers and powerhouses. I believe that God has called many of you to be preachers and powerhouses. And what else did they do? They targeted young people. They went to places where a lot of young people were, and which was very uncomfortable. They thought big, they thought small, and because they did these things, they changed history. And listen, church, the reason I'm telling you all of these things is because I really feel like God is giving us an opportunity to change history just like they did. And maybe, maybe it won't be as big as them, but you know what? At the end of the day, I don't really care about, uh, uh, about earthly history books. I care about heaven's history books. What do you and I, what did God design us to set into motion? Not just in this city, but in this country and all around the world. I really feel like God is giving us the opportunity opportunity to do great things in this life. And I just, many of you guys know at our, our, our first Wednesday um, back uh, in, I think it was May, I, I started sharing a little bit about our 2030 vision, you know, just the vision for what, what, what could God do in our church with like private schools or, or Christian universities? What, what does God have in us to launch? What could God do in terms of outreach? What could God do uh, in terms of campuses? I really felt like that over the next seven and a half years, God wants us to prep to launch eight to 12 new campuses. And I gotta be honest with you, that's kind of a big thing. You know, like I, I, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about it, like, wow, God, how are we gonna prep for, you know, eight to 12 more campuses? And God made it clear, some of these campuses are gonna be in the Twin Cities, some of them are gonna be around the US, and, and, and some of them are even gonna be around the globe. But obviously, you know, like in order to do that, we gotta go back to the fundamentals of church planting, right? Launching more small groups, birthing new ministry teams here, and ultimately getting more more services and campuses. You know, as I was on the airplane flying back from that, that Germany trip, you guys got to see recap. To, 
It was almost overwhelming how many invites I got at some of the most crazy churches all over Europe. Um, they just were flying in on my phone. Uh, people saying, hey, when are you coming back to Europe? Or when are you going to drag Variant back here? You know, like, I want to see your whole worship band. Or, or, you know, like, it was almost like people were just, like, begging me, hey, can you guys just start writing more books, get more curriculum, more conferences at your church uh, so that we can be a part of all of this? And, and, uh, and so as I was on the airplane, I was exhausted, right? But I was also... Um, just really grateful, you know, thinking about all of this. And, and I, I remember I, I was just praying, God, how in the world are we going to even pay for these 8 to 12 upcoming campuses, especially by 2030? I mean, God, you know how, you know, you know how slow real estate can be. And, and, um, and uh, almost immediately I sensed the Holy Spirit just impress upon my conscience, just, you know, not an audible voice, but just a very clear impression from the Holy Spirit, Peter, I got you. I got you. I, in fact, actually, you know what? I am building international interest in substance so that you can build substance studios and, and substance publishing over the next couple of years, okay? And not only will it bless the world, but let me tell you, if you do it right, it's going to pay for your future buildings, okay? So, like, in other words, if you just really realize the bigger picture of what I'm doing, uh, it, I'll provide the resources. And I just had this... I had this overwhelming sense as we landed here in Minneapolis that, that, that God is looking at our 2030 vision saying, that's puny. You guys have no idea. I mean, yeah, I'm giving you baby steps for the sake of helping you and your team move forward. But, man, I'm going to put a whole bunch of preachers and powerhouses in your church. I'm going to put filmmakers. I'm going to put authors. I'm going to put curriculum writers. I'm going to put politicians. I'm going to put singers. I'm going to put songwriters. I'm going to put songwriters. I'm gonna put all sorts of leaders who are, are there to just accelerate the vision. And, uh, and, and the Lord even made it clear to me, some of those people, those powerhouses, those preachers, they're already in your kids' ministry. Just look around and take it serious. That one crazy kid sitting in the back who's really mean all the time, guess what? God's going to use that kid, right? And, and, and the Lord even made it clear to me, some of, those, some of those people, those preachers and powerhouses that God is going to give us are going to get saved this Christmas right here at this church. And it's going to come, and you're going to invite them, and you're going to be like, wow, I never knew my crazy cousin was going to be a preacher. You don't know. You don't know, okay? Which, by the way, on a side note, we're, we're starting to film our Christmas sitcom again, and I'm just telling you, church, there's gonna be over a 1,000 people that are gonna give their lives to Christ because uh, you know how we do Christmas, right? It's over the top, right? And, and then in the new year, let me just get you ready, okay? After Christmas, after we see all these salvations in the new year, after our 21-day fast, we're gonna do, we're gonna have some fun. Some of you are gonna join us for the first time. Some of you are even gonna do all 21 days. Come on, people, get ready. <laughs> Okay, we're going to do our fast, but then guess what? We're going to produce and film a new variant album, okay? It's a lot. We've been waiting to do this for so long. Or maybe I've been waiting to do it, but we're going to do it. And we're going to have fun with it. And guess what? Once we release that album, film it, by, we're gonna, we're, hopefully we'll all be done in time by May because guess what? We're going to take it on tour. And not only on tour, uh, we're actually going, believe it or not, Variant is going to be doing uh, an international tour this coming year in 2024. 
And we already have dates set for Ireland. We have dates set for South Africa. We have dates set for England. We have dates set for Germany. And uh, in every one of those locations, we're also, our church is also gonna be putting on pastor's conferences uh, for people all over the region. And some of you are gonna be joining us, helping us out on a lot of these trips. Come on, we're gonna have so much fun. Oh man, I'm excited about all this. And maybe I'm the only one. But you know what I'm saying? And hey, listen, and if you can't join us, guess what? Don't worry because the goal is to actually film a little reality show with all of these locations, okay? So even back home, while you're back here, just making it happen, guess what? We're gonna make sure that you guys are in the loop, just like the video you saw, except way more professional. And uh, I even think about, like, you know, like even this week, what a lot of you don't know is that I'm actually preaching, Carolyn and I are preaching in Toronto this weekend, which is why we kind of did a little more of a documentary film-style teaching at all of our campuses. It's really kind of fun how our model can scale and do really fun things all over the world. But let me just, let me end with this. And here's what the Lord made very, very clear to me, okay? It was this, make it clear to substance that in 2024, our rocket, the rocket of substance, I really do believe it is about to blast off and God is calling all of you to take a new step, right? God is calling all of you to get your character issues dealt with, get in accountability groups, confess your sins, get on mission with your time, get on mission with your finances, get on mission with, with your leadership, get out of your comfort zone, put on, that, put on that apron and throw away that bib. You know what I'm saying? Expand our small groups, uh, like build upon our ministry teams, take them to where they need to go because listen, when God pops the cork on this church, everything is going to rise. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul said when, when, when God gets a hold of a church, this is why he said in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Why would he say that? Why would he pray that? Because so many Christians don't realize what God would do and what God could do if we would simply go all in with him. And a lot of people, they think, they think oh, i got to earn a calling. No, God has already given you a calling. you got to just live a life worthy of the calling he's already given you. Yeah, but Pastor Peter, I feel like I'm pounding on doors that aren't opening. Well, maybe they're not opening because God's saying, oh, take care of one thing first. Get your life in order, right? Your character in order. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And all you gotta do is just make sure that your character and your stewardship is up to, uh, to, to par. Make sure that your intimacy with the Lord can sustain the weight of his blessings. And let me tell you, with every blessing comes a new responsibility and a new intensity. There's spiritual warfare because the devil does not want us taking ground. You need to know that. But, but the simplest way to do this, to live this out, is simply by praying a little prayer that is essentially the application of what the Apostle Paul commanded us. And again, you've prayed this every single week of this series, and it's this, the History Maker Prayer. Lord, what big adjustment do I need to make in order to join what you are doing? And for some of you, writing a check is easy. That's the easy thing. You're like, in fact, some of you, it's not even a, a big deal to write a $10,000 check. For you, the big deal is slowing your life down to lead a small group. 
You know what I mean? And for others of you, it's the exact opposite. You'll eat a million small groups, but, you know, to even give a $100 check, it just messes with you. You know what I'm saying? And God's saying, hey, start flexing that generosity muscle. I want to use you to do other things. But again, if you're a lover of money, you'll never be able to understand the calling because you'll be pursuing two masters, Jesus said. And so I want to just... I just wanna end by praying that history maker prayer and I really believe that God is gonna do something fresh in each and every single one of us and it's gonna be different, okay? So close your eyes and just, just, just ask God what would he have us adjust? Lord, what a big adjustment do we need to make in order to get in sync with what you're doing? And for some of us, Lord, you would, you, would, you would talk to us about our media preferences. We need to stop watching certain movies or listening to certain music or maybe uh, just spending a little more time with you, God. Maybe it's starting new disciplines of prayer and Bible reading or stopping other disciplines and habits that are, are just kind of crowding you out of our lives. But Lord, we don't want to miss what you're doing on the earth And we know that you can open up doors of opportunity for us when we get in sync with your mission. And so I pray for every single person who's sitting here today, whatever they need, Lord, be it physical healing, be it finances, be it uh, promotion at work, be it a spouse, be it just resolved circumstances, I pray that you would take care of those things as they put your kingdom first. And so, God, I just pray that you'd be with us right here and right now. And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just pray this right after me. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.